This message is brought to you by IOM America and the International Fellowship of Exchange Life. Hi, my name is Steve Finney and I am your ministry host. We hope that the Lord blesses you today as you listen to our podcast. We welcome our online listeners this morning. Our message is titled, Fatherhood, Making a Lifetime of a Difference. Materials that the Lord gave me many years ago for the Principal Patriarch Workbook, and they are 30 practical principles that men need to understand in regard to manhood. Today we're going to take those 30 principles and we're going to integrate them into the exchange life. So I am praying that whoever it is that's listening is going to be anointed and blessed by a supernatural understanding of Christ in you, revealing the Father through you so the Father can practically live his life out through you as fathers. So even if you are a young man and you are obviously not a father, this is the kind of teachings you should learn to embrace today and not wait until your father and made a bunch of mistakes. So this is for you mothers. So fatherhood, it's not only making a lifetime difference, it is also making an eternal generational difference on this world. Many times what we do is we find ourselves uh, listening to messages and they're here today and they're basically gone tomorrow. In other words, you may get a few little pieces out of it and be able to actually move on. And that's really classic Christianity. You just gather these little pieces from messages that are not completely biblical, but you can get some biblical stuff out of it. We call it tickling ears. When you use the word of God to actually arouse the interest of people, you're tickling their ears. You're not feeding them. What you're about to hear this morning is not for the weak at heart. It is not. Your your average father listening to this message is not going to be able to swallow this food. This is is T-bone steak we're going to be given this morning. So I encourage you to take it as small bites. You might only be able to listen to 15 minutes of this message at a time. Whatever it takes, I believe that you need to pray and ask for supernatural revelation to help you understand how these fatherhood principles have nothing to do with you being a father. It has everything to do with God the Father doing the work through you. Fathers who practice to be fathers are irresponsible fathers. Fathers who allow the father of the the, the living God of the universe and beyond to do the work through Christ Jesus, through the Holy Spirit into you and released into your world, that is an exchange of life father. And it will take the Holy Spirit for you to understand this. Let's dive into some of the details. Our women, children, communities, and nations, I'm going to put an S on that, need a few good men, few husbands or young men who want to be quality husbands. We are in need of leaders. Can you imagine taking a message like this and running it back a couple thousand years? 
standing on a rock under a tree, preaching biblical manhood. Do you think that the world would have a tough time embracing that principle and concept? Here's what happened. The ladies of that day were so used to the cultural legalism of the husband is head of the house. When they heard the addition, when Peter, for example, and Paul said, as Christ is head of the church, so are husbands head of their wives. Well, I don't know if you've thought that through. Uh, I certainly have. But that is an irony to me. Why in the world would they have to be reminded of this? The reason why that the men and women had to be reminded of this is because of the freedom in Christ Jesus set off a whole new movement of people sinning so that grace may abound. So you had wives running around acting free like they never have been before. Do you understand that? They were under the thumbs of their Hebrew husbands. They were under the, the thumbs and, and there was a pressing down on them. They were being ruled over by their leaders. So when Christ came and set everyone free, what they were getting caught in in that first generation is literally abolishing the law. That's what was happening. They were abolishing the standard not legalistics, but the standard laws of God that keep governing forces working together, even in a family. Now we're so far from that, we have people shooting each other because they said something. We have children being raised up to kill their parents because their parents are telling them what to do. We have children saying, you can't tell me what to do. You're not my daddy. Whereas back in that first generation, anyone older than you was considered to be an elder and could tell you what to do to protect you. Well, we can't do that today. You can't even tell your own children what to do because they threaten you. I cannot tell you how many times I've heard young children say, I'll kill you if you don't leave me alone. Do they mean it? Who cares? If there's murder in their heart, all that has to be is mustered up, cultivated by the enemy to have that turn into a real action of murdering someone. It always starts with a reaction for it to become an action someday. That is a biblical prophecy that Jesus gave us when he said, there will come a day when your children will rise up and kill you. This was no joke. We have it in our society today that our 10, 11, 12 year olds are going into malls and mowing people down. Where do they get it? At this age. When they have that thought or those words come out of their mouth, I hate you. I'm going to kill you. 
That's where it starts. A confession, every word that proceeds out of the mouth of man, is recorded in the book of life. Well, don't you think the enemy does that too? The great replicator, everything that proceeds out of a child's mouth, the enemy will go, I'll remember that one, Susie Q. And she gets 10, 11, 12 years of age, and he does this onslaught of oppression on that. Until that young lady is doing things she said she would never do. That's how it works. And it's usually someone who comes from a family that the father is not doing their job. Here's our cultural battle. We are right smack dab, 2013. We are in the middle of a cultural battle that wages war against the male and female genders, boys being emasculated, and our girls being made masculine. I am going to say this publicly, and I hope I do get some emails on this one. There is a, a club that has been as solid as rocks that they would dig under since the time that this boys club was started. They taught, it was started by Christians, by the way, but they taught basic skills of survival. And they would help these young boys identify everything from poison ivy to poison people. And they, it was kind of a cultural way of keeping boys boys. They also had Girl Scouts. This is not a club that was to insult girls. The girls went to the girls club. The boys went to the boys club. Now, that club has been active, stable, and has trained a lot of young men to understand poison ivy and poison people. Something happened over the past five or six years in a legal fight that got settled this week. In fact, they had their first gay parade this week. The irony is that they use their own laws not to allow any homosexuals into the Boy Scouts if they were applying for leadership positions. But yet all the boys could actually claim those legal rights to be homosexuals with each other. Do you understand the irony of that? Why is it that they're not allowing the leaders who are taking them out into the woods to teach them the difference between poison ivy and poison people? Why? Why won't they allow leaders to be homosexuals? Why don't they allow the gay fathers to be a part of the small groups anymore? They're actually using the very laws that they used on society within their own group not to allow leadership. I can tell you exactly what's going to happen to the Boy Scouts of America five years from today. It will be a gay community. There's no way that a regular young man is going to be able to survive in the, in the Boy Scouts anymore. It will become a gay rights Boy Scouts. Well, any Christian parent would have something wrong with their mind if they sent their young boys 
who they're trying to teach the solidity of biblical manhood into the Boy Scouts now. You have eliminated the majority of the Boy Scouts overnight. Same thing's happening to the Girl Scouts. They don't want it public yet. You see, anything that has provided a solid foundation for gender separation and gender stability in a society is going to be attacked by Satan. Last week we talked about the historical elements of the gender-friendly, cultural-friendly, these are quotes-unquote, from their website, NIV. Do you think Satan had an objective in mind to have a gender-neutral, gender-friendly, culturally-accepted Bible? Of course he does. What does he want for the Christian family? Gender-friendly, culturally accepted Christian family. Go ahead and call it in your Christian community. Satan doesn't care whether you use Jesus' name or not. He doesn't care whether you use the term Christianity. He doesn't care whether you say Christian community. He doesn't care if you carry a Bible under your armpit. The only thing he cares about is that it is gender neutral and that it's culturally accepted. Because with those two pieces together, he can eliminate a biblical Hebrew law that keeps the culture intact. The way you destroy a culture is to destroy their rules. Now we are actually living in a society where we have gals that have assumed the roles of men in the household, in the churches, in the nation, and it's actually working out better than these lustful men. Statistics will actually prove it. Women are morally cleaner in leadership than men are. It's going to work in their benefit until the final Antichrist arrives. So here's our questions. Whatever happened to these traditional, conventional fathers? So men are off to war. The ladies have to be in charge of the family. So when the men came back from war, they couldn't make the switch. Okay, women's rights. So for all these generations, way back before Jesus had footprints on the earth, all those generations up to 1941, it kept societies intact. Most men are so depraved, they have no clue what fatherhood is. They have no clue what being a good husband is. So why are women asserting more male dominance than our females? Surveyed answer is the females are saying, well, he won't. He won't pray at the table. He won't have devotions with the kids at night. He won't wash me with the word. So I have to step up and do it. No, you don't. The honor and respect of leadership is what wins the hearts of the leadership. Do you understand that? Just by honoring them. And that's why we're required in a 
Well, let's get real biblical here. Second Peter chapter 2, verse 18. Servants, be submissive to your masters, not only to those who are, are good and gentle, but to those who are unreasonable and who are harsh. For this finds favor in the eyes of God when a man or woman suffers unjustly. Well, go preach that out there. Well, there's lawsuits happening by the second. I'm just telling you, Satan is successfully closing marriages by the second. Just as we abort children by the second. Used to be how many per year? Used to be how many per month? Used to be how many per day? Used to be how many per hour? It's by the second we are murdering children. And not calling it murder. Number three, why do men default to women and, lead, and leading their families, homes, and communities? It's simple. It happened in the garden. And it's going to be the tendency until the second coming. I sit back and watch my own behavior, and I sit back and watch the behavior of other men, and as soon as their wives or their mothers or whoever start to show intensity, they just default. And it's just something inside the way we as men have to carry as a result of the fall. So what women need to be taught to do is to when they are getting intense. This is what Peter was trying to help these gals understand. When you start to get intense because your husbands are disobedient to the word. Instead of moving in front of them, move behind them. Win them without a word. Now let's take a look at the details behind this. Not only is this message uh, for the serious at heart, this message needs to be given specifically to men who are actively seeking divine righteous truth for who they are, why they're here. You go ask your average male, whether it's your father, your brother, friend, and ask them, what is, the, what is the divine purpose for you being on the face of the earth? I think you're going to hear a whole lot more than the single reason that is given to us as men. The principled father is guaranteed to challenge and refresh the soul of all men of intent. Of intent. For some reason, when you meet some guy that is willing to sacrifice his reputation, sacrifice being hated, sacrifice, you know, just wants to lead... For some reason, after you get through the battle period, they notice they have followers. Hopefully starting with their own family. I've seen so many cases of divorced men who catch on to these principles and they just keep going forward. They get the hatred stuff from their ex. Their children don't like them anymore. Hatred, 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 hatred. Of course there's going to be hatred flashes because nobody enjoys being told what to do. Nobody. And there's a period that when you come in contact with a strong leader, you got to go through this, I don't like this, I don't like this, I hate this, I hate this, I hate this. Once they're through that phase, you're going to notice within, the, within a couple years, you got followers. But it takes a very serious-minded person to get to that point. Fathers are a light unto a dark world. Their lives are to be living example, examples of traditional biblical values that teach others to glorify God the Father. That's it. That's all you get now of the deal. 
Your job is you are put here to gather a group of people, whether you're a pastor or a group of people, whether you're a shepherd of your own family, to glorify the Father. Jesus referred to God only in two references. Abba, which in Hebrew is Dada. It's the most intimate, childlike way to refer to a father. Abba. Hebrew. Dada. What age do we hear the Dada? As soon as they absorb the concept of that's my daddy. Dada. Jesus himself had that with his own father. The second reference, name or intimate reference to the God of the universe was Father. Father means authority. If you are a child that does not know where your father is because he ran off on your mother, he is a father. If your mother remarried and you look to your stepfather as being the one you have intimate relationship, he is your dada. So Satan knows that. So he's trying to keep father over here and dada over here. He doesn't want those two references of authority to ever line up. So he has to build a culture that keeps the two separate. It's called, Jesus himself referred to it as, a fatherless generation. It's in front of us. The world around us is certainly lost. And it is in need of true dynamic leaders to show us the way. Biblical fathers train fathers. This training starts on the home front. The whole goal and purpose of leading the home is for the, is, is for the community, those who are watching around that leader and training that next generation to do like-minded. If you don't, then your children are going to grow up joining these boys clubs that are not really boys by biblical design or girls clubs that are not really by biblical design. People are designed by God to follow each seeking to find a leader to believe in and follow. Well, that's when this leadership thing and who's the leader becomes an issue. When you've got 90% of your culture now in America following these emergent beliefs, and if you have a leader that comes out and says, no, I support traditional marriage. See, I can preach all day long, long online and offline, and they don't really care about me because I'm an absolute nobody. So for me to pray every day that I stay a nobody is a good prayer. As soon as you become a somebody, and they do that by statistics to see how many people are following you. The government loves internet programs that collect followers because it tells them the pulse of where the majority of Christians are moving, who they're supporting. What's the movement of these Christians? The majority of the Christians are actually supporting emergent thoughts. And that is, whatever, your pastor is gay, whatever, does he share the Bible? Well, occasionally. Well, whatever. You see, that's our society today. What, whatever. The point is, God's not a whatever God. He is constantly separating the goats from the sheep so that he can grow the sheep up into the 
biblical authoritative guidelines of the divine word of truth. If the biblical fathers had the mentality of being fruitful and multiplying the earth, we literally could change a very dark world or dark culture in just a couple generations. But we have more fathers using birth control than statistics can actually track. Okay, how many here today, this is just, how many believe that abortion is murder? Okay, almost 100%. How many believe that birth control is murder? Okay, in most congregations, you drop well below 10% of actual indwelt Christians saying that birth control is still aborting children. Well, scientifically, they would say, no, it doesn't abort children until there's tissue. That's not the point. The point is, if God takes a hold of a Jeremiah and says to this Jeremiah, who just had his bar mitzvah, and says, I knew you before you were formed in your mother's womb. I concentrated you to be a prophet to the nations before you were a twinkle in your father's eye. Well, what does that tell you? Every child that God selects out to accomplish a mission here on earth was done well before you decide to put a pill in your mouth. So what does Satan do? Abortion's the obvious. Pills are not. Guess what the latest fad is for abortion? You already know it. It's in the news every single day. What is it? The day after pill. Not the six-week pill. They are confessing to us by science that they believe there's life the day after. I say, wrong. There is life before the twinkle in that man's eye. God knows who's to come. God knows who's to be the leaders. God knows who's to move nations. God knows who's to pluck down nations. God knows who that child, what that child's supposed to do when they grow up. God already knows. Man, in his farthest, most intellectual expression, is revealing stupidity before God when he claims, I get it, or I've got it figured out. No, you don't. God's the one. He's the Father. He is the one that leads. Our job as leaders is to move each child unto following Abba, the Father. Jesus not only enjoyed Abba, Dada, he cried with him, we know he did. He laughed with him. He probably warred with him more times than just in the garden, fighting something. That is Abba, Dada, why would you send your son through this? Then there's Father. It's high respect and position. It doesn't matter as much about our dada as much as our, you're my father. You see, then when it comes to the hard decisions, we don't accuse Abba of not being reasonable. We don't accuse of Abba of not being a good father. Dada is for the pure purpose of intimacy to say yes to the father in authority. And God forbid, if we could understand the mind of Satan, it would be to destroy those two words, Abba and Father. But since the average male has a mindset of taking care of themselves, we fall short of God's purpose of biblical manhood. I love watching fathers. I love watching to see if they're willing to sacrifice their agenda, sacrifice their, their toys, sacrifice their 
goal for whatever for the sake of those children. It reveals character. But when that father is all about their own thing and the children are forced to follow that, why is it a surprise when the children turn out the same way? There isn't to be of a surprise to us. Okay, let's take a look at the 30 principles. Again, these can be found online. And I can even uh, print a copy of these for you. There's literally a workbook that's been published that you can go on to our website, go to the download page. It's literally uh, several books down. You click on there and it'll literally take you to a page where you can order it. But here's our principles. The heart of a father, two is they are men of the word, three is are men that make a difference in making a mark. So the key here in making a mark is the ultimate thing that fathers are supposed to do, practically speaking. Men are into marks. So making a mark has a more detailed meaning than you realize. When the day's coming where a mark is going to be life or death, heaven or hell. Number four, they understand the threats of fatherhood. Egalitarianism. Egalitarianism is women have just as much respect and power as men have. No, they don't. Women are co-heirs with the grace of God, and that's exactly what it says. Co-heirs. As bridal members in Christ, we are as equal as you possibly can get. I don't carry any more authority than my wife does when it comes to the power of God in both of us. I will not be able to rule anything over her in the spiritual world because I have nothing over her in the spiritual world. But here on earth, it's a different story. As Christ is head of the church, so is the husbands head of their wives. Why? To keep the structure of culture intact. Number five, they embrace true biblical manhood, which is tender compassion with masculine firmness. It's a great quality to have. Number six, understanding biblical woman, instead of egalitarianism, it's complementaryism. You complement each other. You work with each other. She's investing her entire gifting with you, her entire womanhood with you, her entire motherhood with you. And he is handling her as Christ handles the church, tender, compassionate. Understanding, embracing, loving. That's complementarism. Which, by the way, most cultures today believe that is what's classified as sexism. It promotes feminism. Or that's why we're feminism, feministic. They want full-on role of a man. And for some reason, a lot of men want full-on role of a woman. Number seven. Men of authority submit to authority. Common sense to me, but I guess it's not a common sense idea. Number eight is refuse to emasculate the father. 
Someone tell me the term emasculate comes from the term, the Greek term, masculine. How do you emasculate a father? Okay, attacking the masculine structure or the design. God is also the very same word that is used for father. No surprise, God, Jesus wasn't referring to his father as God all the time like we do in our prayers. Oh dear God, please help me out. It was father. Abba. Father. Abba, intimate one of authority. It's the perfect, perfect blend of fatherhood. Number nine. Understand servant manhood. Obviously someone who leads by serving. I serve others because I want Christ to be served. Right? That better be my reason. If I'm serving to get happiness or serving to get loyalty or serving for any other purpose than to get that person to serve Christ, then I'm, out of, I'm off key. Number ten. Allow death of manhood, dying daily to this machoism. I'm the man. It's all about me. Yeah, I'd like to have you find one verse where it says it's all about us. It's all about the bride of Christ. Jesus kowtows to the bride of Christ because they're so demanding. You know how messed up we are as the bride of Christ? You know how many individual doctrines we've invented because we don't, uh, we don't agree with Jesus Christ? Then we sign his name to it, for Pete's sake. Can you imagine that? Changing the doctrines of God, changing the mandates of Jesus. Like when I heard that first statement out of that famous author out there that Jesus is, no, is not female nor male. And then they signed Jesus' name to it by putting Matthew chapter... Oh my, you talk about a... God that is not easily mocked, we're going to see how God responds to us signing His name to cheap doctrines we have rearranged because we refuse to follow the mandates of Jesus Christ, our husband. Number 11, knows their authority, functions in power. You can't function in power unless you understand the authority that's given it to you. 12, refuse to provoke. Not using anger to motivate. Is there a verse in the Bible about fathers do not exasperate, provoke not your children to wrath, King James, those of you who are a King James lover like me, provoke not prodding. It's like a cattle prod, sticking it at your children until they get angry because you're using humor or disrespect or twisted thoughts to provoke. You know how they're going to turn out? Just like you. He who gets provoked is he who becomes a provoker. Number 13 tells us this. They are a family member. Leadership starts in the home. 14 says this. Respect government. Submit to civil leaders. I saw in a magazine this morning about, about how the government, or I guess it was why is the government turning on Christians. Why is there an obvious change that our own government that started out Christian is now turning on 
the Christians. It's because of all this. You respect governing authorities. While they're turning on you, you're going to win their hearts. You're leading them right to Christ. That's the kind of Christian they're not used to seeing. They're used to Christians suing you. Taking you to the Supreme Court. Winning battles that don't even matter. That's what they're used to. They're viewing Christians as people who are compelled and compulsed to sue you. To use the law, to demand the law, so you can have your rights to manage the law. The fact is, that is not our commission as Christians. So they're turning on us because of what we're doing, not because of what Christ or any righteous act is necessarily doing. But there's no guarantee that if you respect them that they won't turn on you. Because that's not your goal. 15 says this. They're active stewards. They're managing all things with excellence. Steward the things that God has entrusted them. Every piece of paper, every cup, everything, God says, handle it as if I gave it to you. But the funny thing about it, it's not if. He did. Fifth, uh, 16 says, our effective policy makers establishing rules. We used to be really good at this as a nation. Not so much anymore. 17, our proactive protectors. 18, qualified teachers. Every father should be able to be a teacher. 19, we have users of the rod. That doesn't mean beat your kids to death. Sometimes you just take the rod and you just... Tap them on the butt and that's all they need. It is, an, it, is a, it is an instrument that says, I'm watching, I'm listening, and I am a part of your life. And this is the moment, son, I'm taking Abba, Dada, with Father. Is the Father going to give consequences? If you do not know this first, write it down. Colossians 3.25. Write it down, circle it in your Bible, because it's New Testament and it's alive and well today. He who does wrong will receive the consequences of that which they do wrong and that without partiality. You remember, the average consequence from God has a minimum of a two-year quiet time. It's not right away. Parents are moved by society to spank their children instantly. That's a bad decision because they want instant respect. You need to allow that sin to do what sin is supposed to do to bring that child to the conviction. Not move it fast so you can go on with your, your cleaning your home or with your life. It takes time to parent. Ask God. He's still working on Israel. 20. Functions as a pastor. Shepherding the flock. 21. Our organized navigators. Plotting the way. It means he's out there in advance checking things out. 22, leaders of one woman, morally loyal. Number 23, filled with understanding, wise regarding women. Men are not just to have the classic functioning detailed list of what it means to be male. Fathers, husbands, leaders in communities. The best way to understand... If you're in the middle of a battle, gender battle in this case, is to understand the other person. 
or the culture is coming against you. So that's why I like to study both. So when they use their language, I know why they're saying it. And when I use my language, I know why I'm saying it. Number 24. They support the Bible's view of a virtuous woman. Men will automatically fall into lust, which leads to adultery. By the way, for those of you men who don't mind looking at women and you still think you're morally clean as a Christian, just because you're looking at her and you don't think anyone's watching, wrong answer. Jesus said in Matthew 5, read it yourself, Jesus said in Matthew 5, he who looks upon a woman to have her has, someone finish the verse, has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So you know what the enemy has done? He's correct. He has created, so to speak, a full culture of men who are lusting on a third party website or a third party book or a third party friendship, a third party look and think they're safe because they're not doing it. Wrong answer. 25 knows his rights, meaning knows his prerogatives given to him by God. 26 effectively deals with unreasonable authority. You know, I, I got to confess, and the Lord has not convicted me of this being wrong, but I oftentimes allow myself to get lost, to miss a turn, to say something that's incomplete. Because I want to see if my mentoree is still on my wing side. Or if they become independents and move away from the lead pilot. I'm telling you, if you've been in this position, which I have a gazillion times, but when you're flying full throttle, and you are focused on going in and, and accomplishing the mission that God has assigned you to, whether it is going camping or whether it is transforming a nation, Jeremiah's case, you are focused. You have your wingmen. One of our dear friends is a special missions pilot with the United States Air Force. We were in discussion one time about an accident that happened in an air show and the lead pilot did an inversion and as you know the the other uh, pilots have to follow in sequence every maneuver and he got a little confused whatever the reason was only God in him knows today but he inverted so every plane inverted he thought he was this way he was really this way, so when he gave the command to pull up, guess what happened? Drove all seven planes into the ground. Every one of them died. That is a classic example of how those men are trained. Those are the kind of men we need. Actually, the wingmen are like our ladies. Those are the kind of ladies we need. 27. Avoids being an unreasonable authority creating that fatal father wound that many of us have today. 28, he knows that tough times will come and uh, may not be an expert in the end times, but stays up to date. So you're not using news like gossip. You're using the news as warnings. 
to the body of Christ, particularly your family. He knows how to claim his victory, not just battle. I'm already a victor before I even enter the battle. When, you're, when you already have the mindset you've won the battle, when you go into the battle, I'm just going to do my job. I'm going to complete the mission that I was given to do. Finally, number 30 is functions as that victor. A victor is someone who already has embraced that they have won the battle. The Lord's covenant or promise with you comes through the seal of the blood of the eternal covenant of Jesus Christ. Because of this seal, he has equipped and empowered you to accomplish his will in your role as a father. When you rest in the reality that God does this work through you, through the Holy Spirit that resides in you, he will be well pleased with all of your efforts applied by the Spirit within. This promise, written with blood, will seal the deal in all of your father activities. Instead of you changing doctrines and match your depraved mind, and then signing Jesus' name to it, why don't you go with what Jesus has signed his name to and that has given it to you freely? That's worth sinking your teeth into. Jesus will not sign his name in blood or ink to any doctrines you are rearranging to make your life more comfortable because Jesus wants you happy. I can promise you Jesus does not want you happy. He wants you joyful in all circumstances. Through trials and tribulations, through tough times, through poverty, guys, I know there's some of you out there living on a dollar, two cents. I heard just this week that some of our workers in the field are living off of one dollar and two cents a day. And you are sacrificing the majority of that dollar and two cents a day to carry out the ministry. You are printing off stuff that costs you. You are sharing things that cost you. You're going from village to village that is costing you and you're only making a dollar two cents a day. Well I have no words to, to truly say thank you for what you sacrifice for the gospel when you have so little. And most of us Americans have so much and we won't even give 10 cents to advance the exchange life in America. So today as fathers, and as your spiritual father in several of, of cases that are listening to this podcast this morning, I thank you as a spiritual father for sacrificing from a very small resource to do what it is that you are doing. And to keep doing it. And I'm committed until death parts me and then afterwards to pray and stand with you and for you in the mission that God has given you. And I pray that all of you foreigners are praying for the men in America because we're lazy and we have priorities in place that have got nothing to do with the priorities that Christ has for us. So please pray for our men uh, here in America. We want to thank you for listening in on our podcast today. This message comes to you by way of a podcast feed from Heartland Family Fellowship, a family-integrated church, which is an outreach of IOM America. 
right here in Sterling, Kansas. For more information about our church or international ministry, log on to www.iomamerica.org. And if you would like to connect to our fellowship, log on to www.heartlandfellowships.org. It's our prayer that the mind of Christ in you draws you into a deeper walk with Him.